And this doctor walked in and just said to my mom, he says, you just need to accept your child's going to die and you need to just accept that. And there's nothing more we can do and there's nothing you can do about it and just walked out the room. And I watched my mom fall to her knees and just start crying. And in that moment, I was so angry. I was so angry and I wanted to just like, I was like, if I could just say one thing, I'd be like, mom, I'm going to fight. I'm going to, I'm not leaving. Like I'm not leaving you. And, and I saw just this absolute heartbreak. And that was a moment where I was like, I never, ever want to see that again. And that's when I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going anywhere. Like I am not going anywhere. Like I'm not putting her through that. I'm not putting my family through that. And I was so angry at that doctor because I was like, how dare you? How dare you do that? And I was like, if I can say anything else, I just want to tell my mom, I love her and tell her that I'm going to fight until I, until I've got nothing left. And then even still, I'm going to fight because I just wanted to give her a hug so badly. And it was just, my story's not going to end like this. You're listening to Breaking the Ice a podcast and community created for wives and girlfriends of professional hockey players, but since has turned into so much more. Stories shared by women around the globe who come together for a sense of connection and community. You may be in the sports industry, a hockey parent, an athlete, or a person who just enjoys podcasts, but I can promise you, you'll be inspired by these women every single day while we evolve through the tips, tricks, do's and don'ts for all things hockey. And guess what? So much more. For women, by women, but especially for a hockey community. So lace them up and tune in for a new episode every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. I mean, that intro, you guys, that intro is just an indication of how amazing and inspiring this episode is. Today on the podcast, I have Victoria Arlen joining me. Victoria is an ESPN and NBC host, gold medalist, Dancing with the Stars contestant, and author, just to name a few. When Victoria was 11 years old, she developed two really rare conditions and lost the ability to walk, talk, communicate everything, but she literally heard everything that people were saying around her for four years, but she couldn't respond. So she was in a vegetative state and she came out of this vegetative state eventually after so many doctors had told her family that she wasn't going to make it and they just needed to accept their reality. And she basically went against all odds. and, And when I say this, I wholeheartedly say this, it's just the truth. She's really the most inspiring person I've ever had the opportunity to have a conversation with and just hearing her story and knowing what she's been through and seeing all of her accomplishments as she has come out the other side is truly incredible. Like she even competed on Dancing with the Stars, not being able to feel anything in her legs. And she still does not have any feeling in her legs, but has relearned how to walk and do everything that she lost during this time. She is super sweet and I feel like we instantly hit it off from the get-go and it was kind of funny because Victoria and I follow each other on Instagram and I think we exchanged a couple messages. I looked at her profile and I started to learn about her story and I was like, I have to have her on my podcast. Her story is so inspiring. She's such an amazing person. After we went back and forth, set up a time to chat, I started looking... I wanted to read more about her because I just found her story so fascinating. And as I'm going on Dr. Google, um, I realized that she was on Dancing with the Stars, which I didn't know. And then from that, she was also on The Ellen Show. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, I am so nervous now because Ellen interviewed her and here I am about to have her on my podcast, like no big deal guys. So, but my nerves were instantly vanished once we started talking because we just, again, just kind of hit it off right away. And I am just truly so excited for you guys to hear. And I feel like you're gonna leave this conversation just feeling very inspired and very, you can do anything that you set your heart out to do. So if you are listening today, I would love it for you to share this to your stories and 
just show Victoria some love. She is just such an inspiration to me, and I know she will be to you after you finish this episode. Thank you for being here today. I'm honestly just so honored and excited to talk to you and dive into your story. So I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to chat with you, have a little happy hour. Yes. So I obviously know your story. For those that might not know you, will you just introduce yourself and give a little background on who you are and kind of what your story has looked like over the years up until now? Sure. Loaded so question. <laughs> Loaded question. Um, okay. Um, my name is Victoria Arlen. I am a television host with ESPN and NBC. Um, I wear a lot of other other hats that I'm I'm sure we'll dive into um, later on in this podcast. But I have a very interesting um, journey that brought me to even just this conversation today. I wasn't supposed to make it past my 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th birthday. And because of that, I had, um, I had, when I was 11 years old, developed two incredibly rare neurological conditions called transverse myelitis and acute disseminated encephalomyelitis. And they're a mouthful, but basically kind of the, the, the brief, you know, description of it is they're incredibly rare conditions that attacks my brain and my spinal cord. And I was misdiagnosed. So by the time doctors figured out what had happened, the damage had already been done. And so I went from being a normal, healthy 11 year old who had dreams of being an Olympian to a complete vegetable in a three month time period. So I lost every ability, um, other than breathing. That was the only thing I, I could still kind of do on my own and was pretty much written off as a lost cause. And so doctors told my parents, I wasn't going to make it. And if I did make it, Uh, the Victoria they once knew was never coming back. And so I was Mm. never going to amount to anything. I was never going to recover that they should put me, you know, in a special home and move on with their lives. And I'm, I'm a triplet. So I come from, you know, mom and Papa Arlen are no strangers to challenges to say the least. And so my family very much was like, um, how, whatever time we have left with our daughter, we're going to give her the best quality of life we can. And so basically, you know, and they said goodbye to me three different times. They set up our living room into a hospital room and took care of me and basically brought with the, you know, whatever time, you know, doctors were saying they were like, we're going to, we're going to make the most of this and, and take care of her. And so they brought the world to me and, you know, for, and not knowing how much longer they had me, what nobody realized is I was completely aware the whole time. So I was what they call locked in. It's called locked in syndrome, but they didn't know that. So the whole time I'm trying to, you know, scream in this prison, that's my body and and no one's responding and no one knows that I'm in there. And so pretty early on, I knew, well, I'm going to have to, you know, kind of write my own obituary. So, you know, at 11, 12, 13, 14, I'm writing an obituary in my head saying, well, if they're saying goodbye now, this is what I would say to them. And And then at the same time, I countered that with writing a bucket list because I was like, all right, if I'm going down, I'm at least going to go down with a fight and I'm going to go down thinking about if I do come out of this, what would I want to do? And so I think early on, I was very much like I need to get, you know, my mind in a, in a situation where if I'm going to fight and try to do the, you know, impossible, I, I really have to kind of set my focus on something that's not so dark and gloomy, which is the current situation. Mm-hmm. And so for, for almost four years, I'm in this vegetative state and the world's going on and, and about just about three and a half years in, I had this, I had a very humbling moment where I'm laying there and my nose itched. And I remember, I remember laying there and that was like my breaking point where I just wanted to scratch my nose and everything else. I was like, this is horrible. And that was my breaking point. And it's amazing because it's, it's usually right before your breakthrough, you have some of your biggest breakdowns. And so I, you know, that was kind of the start. And, and, and so we're, we're coming up on four years. And I remember just making this promise where I was like, all right, no one's hearing me. So I'm just going to pray. Like, I'm going to, I need all the help I can get right now. And I remember just making this promise 
to God just saying like, Hey, it's me. Um, no one else is responding. So hopefully you can hear me, but I, you know, if you give me a second chance, cause I knew my time was up, I knew time was of the essence. And I said, you know, if you give me a second chance, I'll, I'll really, I'll, I'll make something. I'll, I'll use my voice to change the world. I will, I will not waste a single moment. I will, I will really try to make an impact. I will try to make the most of this second chance. I'll do my best. And so that was that, that was a turning point for me. And then, you know, I kid you not a, a few days later, I started blinking on demand and I got control of my eyes back. And I have these huge big brown eyes. And since I was a little baby, my family called me Frankenstein because I had this big old head and these big eyeballs. And uh, my mom didn't call me, but my dad did. And uh, and sometimes he'll call me and go, hey, Frankie. But, uh, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, but so, you know, but my eyes had been very glossed over and fixed. And so all of a sudden I'm making eye contact with everyone. And then they pretty much were like, if you can hear me, can you blink twice? And I just kept blinking. And so that was kind of the start of my recovery. This was, you know, early 2010. And so I just slowly crawled my way back to the world and and had to relearn how to do everything from like, from the very bare minimum of holding my head up, you know, wiggling a finger, wiggling two fingers, talking again. And And so it was just this whole process and the whole time doctors are saying it's a fluke or she's got all this brain damage or she's not going to be the same person. And I just kept, I kept filling out the checklist that they said I would never fill out. You know what I mean? And so, Mm -hmm. so, and then I was back at school, um, that following fall. So, and, and then I just really kind of dove back into, into the world. And at that point I was in a wheelchair and they said I would never walk again because there had been irreversible damage to my spine. And I very much was like, all right. So I pimped out a wheelchair and got a hot pink and chrome wheelchair (laughs) and just made it work. And my shoes never got dirty. And I, you know, managed to catch up with my triplet brothers and graduate on time. I, I managed to achieve tremendous athletic success at the London 2012 games, you know, my senior year of high school. And, and then I got you know, this job of a lifetime at ESPN. And and so I had, you know, I, I had, you know, I had made the most of, you know, when, when life throws you lemons, I really just was like, all right, well, we're going to make some type of lemonade here. And all the while my parents had made a promise that they would do everything to get back, to give me back what was taken away from me, because we also found out that this whole ordeal could have been avoided with a single round of steroids early no. on. Oh yeah. My gosh. So, so I find that out like midway through and I'm like, huh, hmm, well, that doesn't sit well. And and so there was it was unfortunately just not the good timing to get the super rare conditions that now everyone knows about, but people didn't know back then. Um, but that's, you know, that was my journey. And so the last thing that I hadn't really gotten back yet was where my, where my legs and was walking. And so my family ended up opening up a paralysis recovery center which called Project Walk Boston, which basically is helps people with various spinal cord brain injuries, neurological conditions, disabilities, repro like it's it's this whole neuro, it's a gym essentially, but it it does um the it it's very much I mean I'm doing a horrible job of describing it, but basically it's reprogramming your central nervous system. And so it's 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 activity-based therapy. And so almost 10 years to the day of becoming paralyzed, I took my first steps. And then um, pretty much a year later, I got asked to do a show called Dancing with the Stars, and I attempted to not fall on national television on that. And uh, yeah, I just I just have I feel like I gave you a very brief, you know, um, cliff notes. I'm happy to to answer questions. We're diving all in. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we're going to jump all in. But that that's pretty much uh, pretty much this this person in a nutshell over here. (laughs) Okay, you are. (laughs) <laughs> incredible just like so you. poised you're acting like this is no big deal even though oh my gosh like I'm obviously there's a lot no of therapy lot of, yes like a lot <laughs> of time has passed since then but at the same time like really not so much I mean if you look at yeah. the whole timeline of everything and I have so many questions for you so I want to go like all the way back to the beginning so when you mm-hmm when you were first kind of trying to figure out what was going on, like, what were your symptoms? Did your parents notice something off, was off? Did you like, what was that like? 
So it was, it was very slow to start. And I think being 11, I kind of had the innocence of being a kid on my mind. So I never thought it was going to be terminal. I never thought it was a serious thing, but it started out with like, they thought I had appendicitis. Then it was like flu-like symptoms. And then my legs started to go. And that was knowing what I know now about, you know, paralysis and, and, and neurology and stuff. It was a very painful, like my legs started giving out on me and I was, you know, a five sport athlete always on the run. Like my mom was like, we would literally like try to put you to bed and you were still like wanting to get up and go and do stuff. So I started getting really lethargic. So my family, I was the kid that never got sick. And then all of a sudden, you know, I kept getting sick and I would get these funky symptoms, but it really wasn't until I started having this insane pain in my, in my legs and in my side that they were like, something's up here. And at first, doctors were telling my parents I was doing it for attention. Mm. So they were like, no, she's, she's, you know, doing it for attention. She's a triplet. She's doing it for attention. And here I'm like, I have, you know, field hockey practice and a dance recital coming up. Like, can I, you know, I don't have time for this, you know? And, and my parents are like, this is not, this is not, not nothing. And that's when, you know, in hindsight, 2020, like looking back, all my doctors were like, we cannot believe that those doctors at the time missed this because it was, you had every symptom, but it was just really bad timing. And so by the time I was completely paralyzed and, and that's when they were like, oh, something's, something's up. And then at that point, my brain started swelling. So I was losing all my, um, fine motor skills. So my speech started getting slurred. My, my, Mm. I couldn't grab things. I couldn't sit up. So it went, it was slow. And then all at once, it was like someone just took the power button and shut it off. And so it was, it was the steady decline. And then it was just the lights went out. And so I feel like it was, it was just as if literally someone took the circuit breaker and just shut every, every switch off. All right, you guys, if you've listened to the last few episodes, you know that I have been fangirling over Viore. Viore is a athletic apparel company that was designed for people who live an active lifestyle. I have just been obsessed with their clothes for traveling across the world. And actually their clothes fit my husband, which is really hard to find clothes that fit an athletic build. I feel like as I've gotten older, I have really been trying to pick quality over quantity when it comes to clothes. And Viore's quality is just so comfy, amazing, and you know it's gonna last for a really long time. I also just got word that they're going to be offering international shipping soon, which is huge for us girls that play in Europe so you can get Viore delivered straight to your door. Easy peasy. If you want to order from Viore today, you can use the code ICE for 20% off your order. That's viore.com slash ICE for 20% off your order. Happy shopping. Even just like listening to you say that me being a parent, I cannot imagine what your parents were going through and like watching yeah. this decline so quickly. And, you know, obviously on top of that, being told by the doctors that you weren't going to make it like, yeah. how, how did they get through that time? Cause four years is a long time, long time. Um, a lot of faith, um, and hope is a powerful word. And I, I think, you know, my family, they didn't have a choice. There was three other, there was three other kids that were looking to them for strength. And so I think they, they knew that them falling apart wouldn't help me and wouldn't help my brothers. And so they really, you know, as, as kids, we, we always had a motto that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And so my family just really rallied around it. And I, I think they were scared, but I think they were so determined to, to not give up that I think that was the fuel for them. And they said, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't just sit back and watch you know, and just let you die or put you away or, you know, that's the easy way to go about it. And doctors would say to them, I mean, doctors behind my parents back, you know, when they'd be going to get lunch and I'm laying in my hospital room and they don't know I can hear them would make fun of my parents because my parents had hope. And they're like, can you believe there was this one neurologist who literally said to the other nurse, he's like, can you believe that this kid's, this kid's parents think she's going to make it? This kid's a goner. Like they're wasting their time. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm laying there like, are you kidding me right now? And, and so I think, you know, they're super feisty and and they're like, you don't give up on your child. You don't give up on the one you love. You will go to the ends of the earth. And my family literally said, they're like, if we had 
three months left with you, we were going to spend those three months taking care of you, being giving you every shot to survive than than just giving up. And I think giving up's the easy part. It's the surviving, it's the having hope, it's the having faith. That's the hard part. And mm-hmm. so they very much were like, we are not, we're not giving up. We are not giving up on our child. And and you don't. And and so I'm watching them fight for me and and believe in miracles. And so I started fighting, you know, and mm-hmm. I remember wanted seeing their strength. And I was like, okay, my three brothers are the strongest humans. I know my parents, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, like my family just rallied. And it was just like, all right, they're fighting for me. So I'm going to fight for them. And so it was hard. And I think they had their moments, but they're like, we couldn't afford to fall apart because that wasn't going to save you. Even this thought came to my mind, but like that doctor, I'm like, that just sounds like someone that doesn't have a child because you're exactly right. Like you would never just say, Oh, okay. We'll just, Oh, well, like, I mean, you're going to go, like you said, to the ends of the earth to save your child. And I actually didn't know that you were a triplet. So I feel like that's kind of interesting (laughs) because it adds on, first of all, your mom, Oh my gosh, but that (laughs) has a whole element into this because I feel like twins triplets, that's a whole nother type of bond. Yeah your brothers must have felt like a piece of them was missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's the thing that I think blew my parents away is they'd be in, you know, the, they'd be in the parents lounge in the ICU and parents would be like, Oh, I could never do that. Or you're taking your child home or like, you just need to accept the reality. Like people mm. would try to convince my parents that they were doing too much or that it was a lost cause. And, and my brothers, I mean, I really, they are the most, amazing humans I know. And they just stepped up. Like they went, they went into big brother modes and they went into, you know, my one brother, well, my one triplet brother, you know, would always make sure I did a thing when I was little where I always had to tuck my, my pants and my socks when I was, when I would go to bed, like I was very, I had my very specific nighttime <laughs> thing that I had to do. So he would, if I was in the hospital, he would call my mom and make sure I had this one teddy bear near me. I had my socks tucked in and, and my other brother would always just sit there and tell me, you know, and we laugh because I was like, dude, you were so full of it. Cause he'd be like, you're so beautiful. You're so strong. You're so one here. I'm like laying there drooling in a hospital bed. Like this is not a becoming moment for me. You know what I mean? And, and then same with my older brother, like he, and, and they just, you know, even when I was in the hospital, like they would think nothing of just crawling under all the tubes and the wires just to sit with me and talk with me or think of little things to put in my room or like, you know, put in the hot, like my hospital room was always decorated or when we, I was in the living room, they were always in there bringing the world to me. And so they just refused to believe that I wasn't there. Yeah. And so they just never, they never said to their, their friends or even my family that Victoria, well, she's not there. They're like, no, that's Victoria. And this is how, this is what Victoria would want. And they're amazing. Like they're, I mean, and then even when I was coming out of it, like just and like one would throw me on their shoulder. The other one would, the other one would, um, you know, pick up my chair and, and just life. They never skipped a beat with whatever situation was thrown their way. I feel like being in like how you were able to hear everything, but not able to communicate. I feel like there was probably a lot of like funny moments that you experienced being in that state. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, but I also feel like it would be so emotional because you're, you're obviously there's so much faith within your family and like, that's their strength got you through. But at the same time, like, again, seeing your kid go through that, seeing your sister go through that, that's such an emotional, like life changing experience. And I'm sure there was a lot of tears and what was that like being in that state and like hearing them speak to you like that and like not being able, I mean, cause you weren't able to really like cry or anything even. Right. Um, No. Yeah. It was, um, it's, it's definitely a, a form of torture. I would never wish on my anyone, you know what I mean? And I think it was, it was a situation where, um, I only saw my mom cry once and everyone else kept everyone else. If they were having a moment or whatever, I think when they were saying goodbye, they were emotional, but they tried to be very strong around me. And, but my mom, there was one time I was in the ICU and it was really bad. And my dad was on his way up with my grandparents because they were meeting with the doctors. So my mom was with me, but at that point 
it was very touch and go. So normally there was like two or three family members rotating at a time. And this doctor walked in, there was like a, there was a 30 minute window where one couple of family members were going back to take care of my brothers while others were coming up. And this doctor walked in and just said to my mom, um, he says, you just need to accept your child's going to die and you need to just accept that. And there's nothing more we can do. And there's nothing you can do about it. And just walked out the room. And I watched my mom fall to her knees and just start crying. And in that moment, I was so angry. I was so angry. And I wanted to just like, I was like, if I could just say one thing, I'd be like, mom, I'm going to fight. I'm going to, I'm not leaving. Like I'm not leaving you. And, and I saw just this absolute heartbreak. And that was a moment where I was like, I never, ever want to see that again. And that's when I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Like I am not going anywhere. Like I'm not putting her through that. I'm not putting my family through that. And I was so angry at that doctor because I was like, how dare you? How dare you do that? And I was like, if I can say anything else, I just want to tell my mom, I love her and tell her that I'm going to fight until I, until I've got nothing left. And then even still, I'm going to fight because I just wanted to give her a hug so badly. And it was just, it was such a surreal moment. And there were so many of those moments. And it just, that just, I think, fueled my fight, to be honest with you, to just keep going because I was like, my story is not going to end like this. Oh, you're amazing. I was like holding back tears while you were saying that. That's so emotional and heartbreaking. And for you, again, to just be in that moment and not be able to communicate, I can't even imagine just how difficult that that would be. Was there several times where they told your family that they needed to say goodbye? And then at what point did you actually start to come out of this vegetative state? So they, yeah, there was about three different instances um, where they were just telling my family and there one, one of them was around Christmas time. So even now Christmas time, like we, we get very sentimental and, and emotional and I have to give out a few extra hugs from time to time. But um, yeah, it was it, there was about three different times throughout the whole ordeal, but it was just a very unknown, unknown situation when you're labeled a lost cause that doesn't really go away. And it was probably once I started blinking that they were that that there was a sign that I was in there. But even then, we didn't know if we were fully out of the woods. And we actually, you know, even when I started to come out, there was always this fear for a good year and a half before of like, am I going to go back? And is it all going to be taken away? And so mm-hmm. that was a that was a real fear. And it actually we we all say as a family, it was the moment I won my gold medal in London where we all were kind of and that was two years post vegetative state where we all kind of were like, we're going to be OK. Like things are OK now. Like we can we can cry happy tears now because I think there was so much unknown and no one had ever come back from where I was. And, and so we didn't have this, okay, you're good, you know, enjoy your life. And so I feel like that two-year mark when I was in London, medals aside was like our, our kind of as a family, we were all like, okay, we can take a breath. Like we can, we're okay. You know what I mean? Because we didn't know. So did you grow up swimming? Yes. Okay. So you always wanted to go to the Olympics. This happened. You came out of your vegetative state and like, you kind of just led me into my like next question (laughs) of that two years later, win a Mm -hmm. medal. Yes. That was not, I mean, that was not planned, but when I was five years old, we were told, we were told to ask, you know, draw what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I said, I wanted to be a gold medalist. And I actually had made this glittery, glittery um, poster of it. And I drew myself and, and I had bedazzled it and glittered it. And I always had it on my door. And so when I was really sick, that was up on the wall. And, and it used to break my mom's heart because, you know, she'd be looking at me fighting for my life and then looking at these goals I had as, you know, a five, six, seven year old kid. And so it was always my, my happy place. But when I came out, this was summer of 2010 when I came out of my vegetative state, I was very afraid of the water and we, you know, have a home on a, we, we grew up with pools. And so it, I was always around water. And so my family was like, well, you have to get back in the water, Victoria. And I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And that was my happy place. Like I was, I was, I, I thought I was a dolphin for a hot second when I was little, like I just loved the water. And, um, or I think now my, I'm more so just called Dory, but that's for other reasons. <laughs> Um, for running into walls. (laughs) Yeah. Just running into walls and forgetting things for sure. Um, so, but my brothers 
decided that they were going to help me get over my fear. And so they, they grabbed my arms, they grabbed my legs, they strapped on a life jacket and they threw me in the water. And, you know, I'd like to say I went in kicking and screaming, but I couldn't kick. So I just screamed like bloody murder. And, uh, and I had only, I had just learned curse words at that point. Um, and this was not part of the speech therapy I was doing. This was just part of my brother's own speech therapy. And so, you know, so they, they threw me in and, and that was such a defining moment because I feel like in life, sometimes you have to be just thrown into it, even when it scares you. And so that moment of being thrown in and then every day they got in the water with me and then little by little, I started to kind of find my groove again. It brought me back into a space that gave me such joy. And I think when you go through anything traumatic or upsetting, sometimes you're afraid to step back in or to jump in or if it's unknown or if it's scary or if you don't think you can do it, you have to almost sometimes just jump in. And so I feel like that was that moment for me. And then I just started swimming and then started swimming and getting faster and faster. And then London kind of crept on in. And that was just, you know, that was such a crazy, you know, ordeal. I, I swim at trials and I break a world record and then my life changed forever. And then it was all of a sudden I'm going to, you know, I'm on team USA. I'm going to London. I'm in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And I'm 17 years old and I'm from New Hampshire and now I'm being thrust. <laughs> this, you know, international, you know, spotlight. And so I think it was a very crazy turnaround time, but at the same time, it was such a moment, you know, a lot of my family's from England and Scotland and Ireland. And so it was a a big family reunion and it was a space where as a family, we all went. And when I, when I won, especially, it was such a healing moment for all of us because it was like, it was such a full circle full circle moment where we're like, wow, we, we did it. And that was like, it, medals are incredible. They're really incredible. But when there's a, a significant meaning behind it, and for us, that was our finish line for this whole, you know, like scary ordeal where we all just were able to be like, oh, okay, we're good. And then for me, it was like, oh no, my life's never going to be the same. Yeah. But, it was, but it was, it was overwhelming but at the same time I just remembered what five-year-old Victoria would think of this moment and then it it literally changed my life forever I mean I feel like when you're little and people ask you what do you want to do when you're when you grow up yeah. like there's people say so many things that are just kind of like like can be silly or unrealistic yep. and not yep. saying that going to the Olympics is unrealistic by any means but like not that many people actually achieve what they set out to do when they're five years old. And then given (laughs) everything that you went through and then winning a gold fricking medal two years later, Mm. I mean, you like, couldn't have said it better. Like what a healing moment. And just a moment that you can be like, I am so proud of myself. You know what I mean? Because truly to get to that point is just incredible. Like it's amazing. It was, it was more, it was, you know, it was, it was cool. Cause I, I felt like it was my, it was, I, I won that for my family. And I just like, this was a, this was a group effort, you know, as much as I was the one in the pool, it was this like group effort. And it was something that, you know, you never know the path that you're going to take to get there. And I never knew, none of us knew what was going to happen, but that's the, that's the beautiful thing about life. And, and even when you go through challenges is I've always said, you know, extraordinary challenges lead to extraordinary victories, whatever they may be and wherever they may take you. And, and it was, it was cool because it was to see, have my family there and just be like, I did this for them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And this was all of us. (laughs) I'm picturing in my head, just like your family watching this from like the stands. Oh my gosh. They were probably going insane. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause it had been, it had been silver, silver, silver. I'd come so close, so close. And then my mom that morning had gone to um, St. Peter's cathedral in London with my, with my sister and they, they went and they're like, we gotta go pray. Like we gotta do something like this is a big night for Victoria. And, um, they went and it was like the perfect time where they, they said a little prayer and lit a candle and they looked up and the sun was coming through the windows and it just lit up the whole place in gold. And my mom literally looked at my wow. sister and was like, I think Victoria's going to win tonight. Oh my gosh. And I just got the it chills. Was, it was crazy. It was so, my mom was telling me that story the other day. And literally that night they were like, 
losing their minds and like the it was such a such an incredible moment for all and then the pictures I got sent all these pictures of them after the fact and just to see them and their tears and their excitement and it was just it was so cool to see we're just crying tears of joy for the first time in a really long time and uh it was it was incredible it was it was amazing yeah oh my gosh okay so what came next dancing with the stars or espn ESPN. Okay. So tell me about that. So I was reading about you online because I did my digging oh, and, oh, side note, which we'll have to talk about. I saw that casual Ellen interview. <laughs> I was like, Oh, no pressure to me or anything. She was just on Ellen. Okay. That's fine. Um, but okay. So you were hired at ESPN when you were 20 years old, 20. Yep. That's like one of the youngest reporters ever hired, let alone as a female. Yeah. Wow. Cause I mean, ESPN is obviously very male dominated. Like what has um, the experience been like for you? It's been incredible. I mean, to get hired at 20, it was, I was not expected by any means. And if, you know, I was pretty much told you're, you're, you have no experience You're too young. You're never going to make it. And I was told that even with, with London, like that you, you don't even try to go for the team. You don't stand a chance, all this stuff. So it's like, Haters are going to hate regardless, but I just seem to be too stubborn for them where I'm and like, who is saying this to you? Who is saying like, this to I'm you? Just, I just, people, experts, like coaches, like you wouldn't believe how many people told me not even to go to trials before London. And then same thing with ESPN. Like it's, it's crazy. I, if I can tell anyone anything, it's like when people tell you to not do something like in a sense where it's like, you're not capable, they're not, you're giving them the steering wheel. You know, like when people were telling me not to go to London or not to even try for Team USA or not even to like, you know, take these meetings at ESPN, you're you're putting you're giving someone else control. And it's like, no, hold on to your steering wheel, know your worth and just go for it because you only fail if you don't show up and you don't try. Mm-hmm. And so I think with ESPN, I mean, I was told by so many, so many different people that like you're too young, you have no experience, you know, people get hired with 20 years of experience here, not 20 years old. And and so I just was job shadowing. I had done a, a ton of media tours and speaking tours after London. And so hadn't met and been on a bunch of shows here as a guest. And so I was basically offered if I wanted to shadow and, and I had had a couple executives ask, you know, have you thought of a career in television? And I was like, no, not really, but had this total, you know, like I just had a lot of experience with the press and they were just not, they was just ruthless. So I was like, I don't want to be one of those people. And so, um, but I had, um, I had watched a live taping of sports center and had like this light bulb moment where I was like, I want to do that. And so I just started job shadowing at 19 and I was in college at the time. And I was kind of at a point where I was like, okay, do I want to keep swimming or do I really want to, you know, explore, you know, explore another challenge and, and this ESPN thing, you know, I am grateful to share my story, but I, I fell in love with the idea of sharing other people's stories. And so I just started job shadowing. And every time I would go there, I would meet with different folks and executives and be told every reason why I didn't stand a chance. And I was like, that's fine. I'll strap a coffee cart to my wheelchair and deliver coffee. Like, I don't care. I just want to learn. And, um, it was, it was two producers by the name of Kate Jackson and Bill Bonnell, who unbeknownst to me had all these Emmys and accolades. And I was just little naive Victoria, just sitting there like, hi, how's it going? Wow. What do you do? And ignorance is bliss. They literally, they literally offered me a reporting job for, we were airing on ESPN and ABC, the special Olympic world games. And they were like, we want you to be our reporter. And I just remember sitting there and I was like, thank God I was sitting in a wheelchair at the time because I probably would have fallen over if I was standing. And I remember just sitting there and being like, wait, are you serious? Like, is this legit? And they're like, yeah, you just got a job. And I was like, I I was like, well, they've been telling me I got to try to get my foot in the door. And and Kate literally, she goes, oh, honey, you knocked that door down. Like you're in, like you, you, do you want to, do you want to work for ESPN? And I was like, uh, Yes. And so, and that was a whole other, you know, thing. And then, you know, by the time I had, I, uh, you know, did my first event and then that led to my career kind of, kind of taking off and seven years later, here I am. Wow. <laughs> it's, been, oh. it's incredible. Yeah. And I went from wheelchair crutches to walking my, this whole time I've been, I've been at ESPN and now I just fall in heels. That so. is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just oh my gosh. 
Yeah. In between that is amazing. Okay. So have you ever experienced any stereotypes from people being a female working for ESPN? Oh my goodness. Yes. I think it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's very much a male dominated industry, but I think I've been very fortunate here that I have a, a really good tribe of people in all different departments and walks of life that have, have helped me navigate it because at 20, it was very overwhelming to be thrown into this type of position. And then I was pretty much learning on the fly. Like we laughed because I pretty much had to go to ESPN university at ESPN. (laughs) And so I really like, I wasn't even old enough to drink. So I remember my first big dinner with all the other talent that you go to and you sit with the president of ESPN and it's this whole thing. Like I had to leave the restaurant after nine because I wasn't 21 and I had to go finish homework for my school because my parents are like, just because you have this big job, you have to finish your degree. And so I like finished it online. And so it was a lot. And then I feel like it was a lot of trying to find my own voice and try to find, cause everyone, everyone wants to put you in a box, whether mm-hmm. you're here or anywhere in life, especially as a woman, you kind of, people are going to want to put you in a box. And so for me, I've always I've always kind of been in a situation where I want to be authentically me. And so I think when you put that out there, you learn who to bring in and who will, who will support you and cheer you on. And then who to also kind of be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm staying in my lane, going to do my thing. And then know that I can go be with my family, go be with my friends and kind of shut that off and have that, have that balance. But I think the the stereotypes is, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. I think people are very quick on Twitter and Instagram to judge you, talk about you, send you death threats. And they don't like what you wear. I remember one X games, I wore the same jacket two days in a row and I got roasted on Twitter. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like great. It, you wouldn't believe I have so many like privacy settings, notifications shut off because people are just ruthless. And so I think being in a woman, being in that position, but I think being one of the youngest in this position has, has come with its own set of stereotypes where I have to, you know, I was the kid on campus. And so it's still having to, you have to almost work twice as hard. You have to be extra squeaky clean. Like I can't just go out to a bar with friends if people are going to be, you know, taking photos or videos mm-hmm. or something like that. So it was very, I think early on, especially when I was younger, it was you were, you were, I was very much having to be, become a lot older very quickly and a lot more. There was no, you know, early twenties. It was very much like, okay, you're in this big position. You need to, you need to act a lot older and a lot more. And, and so I think it was, it was finding that balance, but then on top of that, there was other things that came with it, other opportunities and shows and, and things. And then I'm trying to walk, I'm trying to, you know, all the uh, navigate just normal 20 something year old things. Cause our twenties are really funky. Yeah. And so it, it was, it was hard. It was kind of the combination. I wouldn't say there was one specific other than being a woman in this industry, but I think having three brothers, I kind of knew how to just handle that in a sense. I think it was more so just being young mm-hmm. and having, you know, my co-host be my parents' age. And having to still be have coaching my, you kind of, yeah, like coaching me and, and still having my voice and, and being, you know, taken seriously in a sense, but also staying true to who I am because everyone wants you to be the next so-and-so or to do kind of their way. And, and you just have to find your voice. And I think for me, it's, it's come with a lot of different experiences, even outside of ESPN that have helped me kind of shape my voice. And I'm like, I'm me. So if you don't, if you don't like me, then that's, I'm not going, I'm not going to take all my energy for you to like me. I'm going to do what I know I can do. I'm going to be respectful, kind, and make my parents proud and then try to do a good job. And if that doesn't fly with you, then I'm sorry. <laughs> you yeah. know, you can just use the channel and you can shut the TV off. And and so I think that was a big one for me too, is just knowing, knowing who you are and and owning that. And then, and everyone else is taken. Did you ever have a period of time where you did let that bother you? And like those comments Mm -hmm. did really affect you because I feel like it probably took a lot for you to get to the point of where you are now, where you're just like, so confident and strong within who you are that you're able to be like F you to the haters (laughs) kind of thing, you know, because I mean, I'm sure like 
throughout your life, like obviously you went from not being in, in the public eye to being in the public eye and then having your life like completely change where people are like seeing you on TV and seeing you on Dancing with the Stars and stuff. And then you're all of a sudden you're getting this negativity that you've never received before in your life. Like, I mean, and it's not just like the normal, like someone's rude to you at high school, college and, or, you know, sending a mean message. It's like complete random strangers sending like horrible messages. Horrible. I, I think so. It still sometimes bothers me, but I, I have a really tight tribe of people that I, that I love and that take that are in my corner. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a few, like, I think last year around Christmas time, there was issues with death threats. People were threatening me on Twitter. And, and so there was like, and just completely random out of the blue or, or some people would question, question me or question and, and just say just some really horrific things. Or I have like a, a scar on, I did a campaign with, with jockey and I have a scar on my, on my tummy from when I had a feeding tube. And like, obviously that feeding tube kept me alive and people were critiquing that. And, and so it's like, there was little things, but I think it got to a point where, where I just, you know, at the end of the day, my mom has always said, she's like, hurt people hurt others. She's like, so if someone is going out of their way to be unkind to you, she's like, you almost have to just send kindness their way, which is a really hard concept to understand when people are sending you really nasty things or saying really mean things. But, um, and then even when I, when I first started walking, I was, I was ready to do a live shot at the X games and someone yelled that I, I looked like Forrest Gump and I, cause I had leg braces on and here I just started walking and I remember I wanted to just cry. Like I was, I was a minute out before I was doing a live report and I wanted to cry and I could feel my, my hands start to shake. I could feel my mm-hmm. eyes. Well, and then I like looked around and I was like, you know what? You're on the other side of this barricade. I'm about to do a job I love for ESPN. So Forrest freaking Gump is on ESPN and that's pretty cool. And I just like had that moment. And I think you have to wherever you are, whether you're in the public eye or not, and you're dealing with bullying, you're dealing with people is, is you have to just surround yourself with people that are going to support you that are going to love you that are going to just be there for you. Because I know, I I mean, mind you, I have privacy settings on my social media, I don't scroll, I don't if I, I have so many settings. So I really try to not see Mm -hmm. very much have like people on my team kind of vet sift through it because it's just not good for my mental health. And I don't, I don't, I shut, I very much shut off and I post a lot less or I'll just kind of take breaks and be with, be present because I'm like, I do my job if I'm too consumed with all of this. And I think when I was younger, I was a lot more. And then I was like, they don't matter if anything, like, sorry, you feel that way. And so I think, but the core at the core of it, it's having, having just people around me that I know I can just kind of shut off. And I'm, I know I'm, I know who I am. I know where, where my stand with the people I love and, and care that care about me. And so it's, 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 I have to, you have to set those boundaries. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard to do it in the public eye because you kind of have to always be on in yeah. a sense. And so for me, it's, it's knowing when I don't have, when I can, when I can just be tour, you know, versus Victoria Arlen. And I have those special places I can go, those special people where I can just close the door. And that's, that's that. And so I think that's really important as well. And, and just, you know, if you're, if people are bullying you and trying to knock you down, you're, it kind of means you're doing something awesome or you're doing something because no one would no one would care if they didn't you know and so I think that's another perspective too you have to sit there and be like wow I guess it means I'm kind of doing something cool maybe I don't know yeah so really sorry you feel that way internet trolls are such a weird thing to think about because like when you're a good person you would like to think that everybody is a good person and like that doesn't happen so it's kind of (laughs) mind-blowing it's really been disheartening. I was like, there's been times where I've really just, I have had moments where I'm just like, what is wrong with humanity? Like what is wrong with people? Like why, why did me wearing a dinosaur Christmas sweater strike such hatred in your heart to like say these things? Like it's, it's crazy, but my, I, I'm really lucky that, uh, that my, I can laugh it off with my friends, my family. Yeah. I can yeah. I don't have to be on, you know, and we exactly. just kind of laugh and 
it sounds like you have a good, a really good support system and that's super important and keeps you grounded. I'm sure. Well, even when you were saying like you were living in LA for your job and probably didn't know a lot of people, cause didn't you grow up on the East coast? Yeah. So I'm from New Hampshire. Um, and then ended up relocating during dancing with the stars. And then afterwards I was working so much out there. So I was, I was by coastal, but I was out in LA and that's a whole different, that is, you have to be on and everyone's wanting to be with you because you're something or you're somewhere. And, and that was a, such a trip and a half. Cause I was never brought up that way. And I was mm-hmm. never brought up in, in that space where, you know, people are calling paparazzi on themselves. People are, you know, wanting you to be seen with X, Y, and Z or doing these, you're doing these shows and then you have to do all these. And that's just not who I am. And, and so I, I think my family very clearly was like, if you ever, like my one brother was like, if you become an LA batch, I'm going to beat you up. And I was like, <laughs> noted. <laughs> and Friends and like all my family members, my mentors, they're all like, yeah, we'll be in line ready to like beat you up. Like you're not. And that, and that's the thing is like, and then whenever I go back to New Hampshire, I'm up at the lake, like my family's like, this is, this is, this is you. And this never lose this, never lose your crazy bun, never lose the <laughs> fact that you just fell off the dock again. Like, don't lose that. Cause that's who you are. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. My, my job doesn't, make me any different than, than how I was raised. And, and I always say, I was actually talking to one of my bosses about that. Cause he was like, don't you go and get too big now that you're doing all, you know, these shows. And, and I was like, look, the moment I get out of bed, I can put my feet on the ground. I still don't feel my legs. So I still don't feel the ground beneath my feet, but I can stand up, get out of bed and walk is a, is an instant humbling moment because there was a decade where I couldn't get out of bed. There was four years where I didn't know if I was going to wake up and even to this day, I still don't feel the ground beneath my feet. So it's literally impossible for me to ever lose that, that feeling of like, I know I'm not supposed to be here. Like, I know I was given a second chance. So why the heck would I even take that for granted? Okay. I was going to ask you that because I, so I was watching your, I kind of went on a rabbit hole. So I was watching your dancing with the stars videos. And then I think it was like some like long clip. Anyways, I, you were saying that you couldn't feel your legs while you were on dancing with the stars. I was like, how did she even do that? Not feeling her legs. So you still can't feel your legs. No, I still, I still can't feel my leg. That's never, that's never come back. And I kind of, I kind of don't want it to, because I've been told if it does, it will, it will be incredibly painful. So I'm good. I feel like I would walk like a zombie if I could feel my legs. Cause I'm so used to walking without feeling. Uh, but the dancing thing was a whole other ball game. Yeah, tell I, me about it. Ooh, well, I don't recommend not dance dancing without feeling your legs because you're just going in blind. Like you are just very much like Jesus take the wheel here because I <laughs> I didn't know what I was signing up for, but um, it was cool. I mean, I had only been walking for a year without any support. So it was very much like, all right. It was like my brother's throwing me in the water all over again. But it was really cool because um, my partner, Val, we very much early on just got a system going and he kind of, he had never worked with anyone who had been paralyzed before. I, I've yet to meet anyone who's ever been paralyzed for 10 years and, and is now walking. And so it was like, it was, you know, one of those things where it was just like, all right, like we have an opportunity here to inspire some people. So we took it on as kind of this opportunity to just show people what, what you're capable of and how your obstacles and challenges, you know, are, are only just lovely little sprinkles to, to this little cupcake life. You know what I mean? And so it's just, you got to turn those struggles into sprinkles essentially. And so we kind of just went for it. And for him, he was a perfect partner because we, we just, we got creative with it, but it was hard. I mean, it was very, um, my legs were very much like, what the heck are you doing to me? Cause, but it also helped with my walking. So it was actually like kind of a, a form of physical therapy in a sense where we were just very much. Okay. Long like, days too. They were, yeah. Just long days, eight hour days. I mean, I broke four ribs. I blew out my knee by the end. Like it was, it was a doozy, but it was one of those things where we really, had, um, this tremendous honor to be able to inspire people and be able to, you know, take, take these dances and have a a whole different meaning. Like we did one 
focusing on, on bullies and, and bullying. We did one on, you know, my wheelchair. And, and so, but the, the stance was the big one because that was such a full circle moment because I had this whole total out of body experience where I was 10 years old. And I told my mom when season one of dancing with the stars aired, I told my mom I was going to be on that show. And then when I was sit, when I was in my vegetative state, they would always put like ESPN on or the food network or dancing with the stars or different things. They knew I loved to watch and which putting the food network on for someone who's laying in a vegetative state is not a nice thing because I was very hungry. <laughs> but I learned how to cook. So that was a, that's a whole other, you know, thing that we joke about in my family. But um, but I when I was learning to sit up again and hold my head up, I had signed because before I could talk, I, I learned how to sign and I signed to my mom that I was gonna be on that show. And my mom literally was like, Okay, well, we gotta we gotta learn how to sit up and hold our head up first. So if we wanna be on dancing with the stars, and so it was a total three like 60 full circle moment where that first dance I'm sitting in this like pink fringy outfit and I'm watching the package because we watched the package before the dance for the first time as everyone's watching it so I'm seeing this moment there and I'm seeing myself in this vegetative state and I immediately went back there and I just froze and I'm sitting there and I'm like oh my god oh my god like it was just this total like instantly brought me back and then all of a sudden I hear my partner, there's, there's three beeps before the music goes off and, and this is all live. And I just hear my partner go, Arlen, Arlen. And then I look up and he goes, let's go change the world and comes and starts dancing. And it was just this, like this moment. And then from there, it was just week after week, the stories we would get and the people that, that were reaching out to us and, and what we were able to take, you know, this tell my story in a whole different way. It was incredible. I mean, it was, it was really cool. And my family was just praying every week that I didn't fall on national television. Like I said, I'm no, like I'm a total lurk. So I was, when I was looking you up, I actually didn't know that you were on dancing with the stars. (laughs) So I, I was watching the videos obviously. And I was sitting there and I was bawling. I was watching, I was like, Oh my God, Devin, get it together. I was watching one of your dances. I think it was the house that built me. Like, I just, I love that song anyways. And you like dedicated it to your parents. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that was like, kind of like a symbolism of like what you, like you and your parents in the, in the dance, like, I don't know if it was, but I was watching it. And like, that's what I was just visualizing. I was so emotional. And then I watched also like the one where with your wheelchair and everything and watched you get emotional after that too. And you were a very graceful dancer and just knowing that you could not feel your legs on top of that. And I mean, I'm like in awe of you. It's, it's really, it was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank that's your, wow. You're so sweet. Thank you. Oh yeah. Um, of course. Well, thank you. I, the, that dance actually was for my parents. So Val um, wanted to do a dance of how my parents never gave up on me when I was, when I was in that vegetative state. So my parents didn't know we were dedicating it. To oh them. my gosh. Were they and, sobbing? Oh, we were all sobbing. Yeah. They were sobbing. I was sobbing. Um, that saw like they knew nothing. Like they, he very much didn't want to tell anyone. And then the wheelchair one, he, that was his idea after week one, he says, I want you to fly out your wheelchair. And I was like, what are you talking about? I haven't sat in that wheelchair in a year and a half. Like I'm not sitting in that chair. And he's like, he goes, Victoria, I, I want to do a wheelchair. I want to do a, a, a segment of our dance in, in your wheelchair. And I was like, I was very much against it. And he said to me, he goes, this is a huge part of your life that we need to celebrate. And there's other people watching, we need to celebrate it. And so we brought my chair in and it was such a cool experience because that whole week we're rehearsing, it was there and it was like such a symbol and it was such a, he's so Val cool. spent four, week, four hours in my chair to see how my world was and to see how to navigate the world in a wheelchair. And so it was just this whole experience. And then that dance, I was a wreck. I literally sat there, my lip quivered on national television and I'm not proud of it. Because it was just, it was such this like intense emotion, but it was like one of my favorite like celebration songs. And, and it was just a really cool moment because that, that next day, that next day we got, we were tagged in hundreds of videos of people in wheelchairs all around the world showing oh my up classes. And it was incredible. And so we just realized that we wanted to show that doesn't matter who you are 
what you can and can't do. You can dance, you can celebrate life, you can celebrate the good, the bad, the ugly, the wonderful. And it was just really incredible to see that it was so much more than just doing a dancing show. You know what I mean? And that was what was what was really incredible. That is so delivered. cool. <laughs> that is so oh, if that is the the worst thing, I mean, honestly, you I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I was just oh my like, God, I'm such an ugly crier. How did you not notice that? I didn't. I mean, it's like I don't think anyone would be paying attention to that because like the whole story and dance is like seriously so touching. And I that is so that must have been so touching for you too to see like everyone posting those videos and everything like the next day. That's that's so cool. It was incredible. It was for me, it I wouldn't choose what happened to me, but I wouldn't change it because I am and, and what I've been able to do because of it. And I think reminding people that there's no such thing as a lost cause. And, and I think finding a purpose for the pain has been a huge one. And that one was such a moment too, where it's like, there's such a bigger reason for this. Like I came back for a reason. And if I can inspire one person, if I can help one person, then that's worth it. You know what I mean? You're inspiring me right now. I mean, I feel like I sat through this entire conversation with just like the biggest smile on my face because obviously we just met, but I'm just like, I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you. You're just crushing it. I'm so honored to be chatting with you. But I mean, like, thank you. But this is like amazing. Like everything that you do, I hope you know just how amazing. I mean, you are the coolest person I've ever met. Seriously. You're making me cry. Well, it's, I I truly feel that like I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, she is the coolest person. Truly. I swear I'm not that cool, but thank you. <laughs> you are cool. This is like, I just, I can't even believe your story and everything you've been through and just everything you've accomplished and how you've been able to stay so humble. I don't think a lot of people do that as they like, you obviously are very successful. And I think that's so important. I think it just makes you even more admirable. Oh, so, so, yeah. Cute. <laughs> of course. Well, on that note, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and just chatting with me. I'm just absolutely honored that you came on and I hope we can stay in touch. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, anytime.